0: All right. Well, we were going to have a video from Bert, but our computer froze up. So just to get, let you know, he's in Africa right now, Guinea-Bissau, and he's ministering to a bunch of leaders and um, pastors, and he basically was showing everybody and actually saying, hey, I heard something happened back in New Hampshire as well with you. So what I encourage you to do, um, you can check our community uh, Facebook page. There's an update there, and there's also an update on his Facebook page, Um Carolyn, wave your hand. Dan, woo. So these guys can give you a little update if you want information on how to reach him. If you'd like to give to the work in Guinea-Bissau or support the Phariases as missionaries that they are, please just go on. You can go online on the website. And under missionaries, there's a drop-down, Farias, And you can give to them. If you want a text to give, it's F-A-R-I-A-S on your text to give. And you can give to the work there, give to their work, and um, all over the nation, really, and some of the world. They're very busy doing all kinds of stuff. So um, you could give, and then we're going to support them as well. So um, I want to get right into this, because I feel like we got a debrief a little from last week. It was a powerful time. Um, you know, we're just beginning this great return. We had 5.5 hours of repentance I mean, it was supernatural God visitation stuff, you know? Sunday was, was only a door into a whole new season, a whole new life. Calling repentance as a door is not meant to minimize it. There's no other way, though, to enter into the things of God but through this door. Preparation for last week, I, I, I just want you to understand some background to what happened last week and, you know, because there's been a lot of talk. We've had an elder apostolic team debrief. We've had an all-leadership debrief because it was so significant what happened. Um, and so I want you to understand, though, that preparation for last week was no different than others. I sought God's direction. He told me what would happen. I, I have it written down. I shared when I came in. Let's let's cut worship here. Let's move into what God wants because I have a feeling we're going to have a real time of public repentance. And, however, I would have never, ever understood the fullness, the scope, the, the, how, how amazing and how long it would be. I, I made a joke that we can't be here till 5, so make it concise. Please come up and share. Well, it was 5.30 when we left. You know, and so everyone's like, wow, you were being prophetic there. <laughs> But God also orchestrated the same way he does every week. Now, I'm not minimizing what God does. I'm trying to trying to help you see that what happens in this place, there's so much supernatural confirmation of the Spirit. Things being confirmed by one, two, three, four, five people every week. Typically the worship and the words of encouragement all line up with what I'm preaching. And I didn't share it. We're not like one of those churches who has a little prep meeting every week and says, let's sing some songs on love. I'm going to give a message on love, and then let's reinforce it with a couple scripture readings on love. It's the Holy Spirit directing and guiding like it should be in the Bible, right? That's what happens. And when it doesn't happen, we all go, oh, Lord, what have we done? You know, because we're like, you are the center of attraction. And that is what we need to cultivate in this place that worship is a time where we all sit back and go, whoa, God, come and do what you do. Give yourself glory. Manifest who you are in our midst. And we all spectate and worship and stand in awe of this great God because we, we're we coming with expectancy and saying, God, be great in our midst. Do something. Be who you are. And that, as we cultivate that, I just felt that toward the end of worship that You know, we're going to come to a place, folks, where it is just God pouring out, God being God. But it's going to take us all growing. we got to prepare our hearts. We have to to walk out this great return. We have to walk out this repentance. And I want to get into some of that and what that means. Because last week was the start. I found it um, pretty cool because it was the first day of spring quite a prophetic significance that God would move on the first day of spring and bring us into a spring season of blossom and growth and demonstration. Amen. Amen. Preach it, Sean. That was exciting, too. I thought so. Um, One of the cautions that I want to tell you, though, is do not expect the same, you know, and don't lean on your own understanding. Look at, remember Moses and the Rock? It's like something good happens and we're like, let's do it again. Well, no. What's God doing? Did you like that accent? Doing. This is the whole point. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Proverbs 3.6. It is coming every week, knowing one thing, that God is great and He's going to do something supernatural and give us what we need. But we got to look to Him and not What's happened in the past? Let's do it again. No, we're going to look to Him and say, God, do a new work in us. Bring us to that next place of fruition, right? Also, God wants you to process what, he, what you experienced. He wants you to learn to steward what He does in your life. You know, it's like After a big experience, everyone wants another big experience. And God's like, no, you go from the mountaintop and you go to the next mountaintop. You don't stay on that mountaintop forever. You experience God and then you walk through that valley. It's kind of like mountaintop, valley to the mountaintop, valley to the mountaintop. And those valleys are times where you walk it out and you let that experience and that truth become part of who you are. It's forged. It becomes deep. It becomes visibly part of your life. And then you come to the next place where you encounter God. And he opens your eyes to something you never saw in your own heart, in your own life. And you're like, oh, God. And we repent. And then we walk through that. And it's during that valley. I want to talk about that. It doesn't have to be a low time, a desperate time. But it will be a time where you will be tested and tried to see that that experience and that truth becomes part of who you are. He is not a cheap god where he just gives you thrills. He is a god who says, you experience me now, not do business as normal. Let me forge you. Let me let me cause a crucifixion to take place and a resurrection. Right? These are not cheap things. Last week, laid out a blueprint ahead of your life of what you need to do. And I'm going to I'm going to be really specific this week because our whole destiny in the Lord depends how we respond to last week. And if you weren't here, you know, you have an opportunity today to just come to that place of repentance for every aspect. We're going to have that opportunity every day of our life for the rest until we stand before him and stand before the Lord. This is a critical time to learn what stewardship is. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion. Okay, so there's this encounter with God, and he says, now I'm going to teach you. Now go and have dominion and steward what I've placed before you. I'm just trying to build a little scriptural precedent here. Acts 6.1-6. through 6. Now, at the time, while the disciples were, incre- disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. It's exactly what Brian Messina shared and they called for people and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven good men of, rep- men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can put in charge of the task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And this is another aspect that God's drawing us into. And um, it was at the All Leaders, Craig had mentioned this same thing and had brought to everyone's attention. Everyone has a stewardship. Brian's is serving as a deacon, supporting all the vital aspects of the church. The house churches, the main Sunday experience, all of these things, the grounds, the facilities, that's his stewardship. It is not just about yeah, sure, I'll help with that. No, he has a stewardship given to God to lead that to develop that, to give himself to it, to recruit people under the work of the Lord. It's the same thing with the apostolic team. The elders have a stewardship where they've been given by God a church to manage, to to support, to strengthen a work among the nations. So This is stewardship, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. Stewardship is something we're not really, we don't like in America. You have people in the church just going from one big experience to the next. And God's like, when will my people be mature and experience me and then work at integrating in their hearts and lives that they become a new creation, a living sacrifice? The living sacrifice comes when the oil of God's presence gets pounded into the hide. It's rubbed in. It It penetrates it becomes part of who you are you become this pliable hunk of clay that gets fashioned after the lord 1 Corinthians 9:17 again paul says for if i do this voluntarily i have a reward but if it's against my will i have a stewardship entrusted to me 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift or experienced anything from heaven is a good gift to men. So if you've received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies Remember, we talked about that last week, all about dependency on self, trusting in self. It's the opposite of what we need to be. We need to repent from our own works, even if they're good works, our own strength, trying to do something. We have to get to our own strength. We steward until the end of our strength, and then God kicks in. Amen, brother. Thank you. Come on. Amen, everybody else, all the 10 of you that just shouted, yeah. You don't need another mountaintop until you walk through the next valley. It's called growth. What did you offer God in your repentance? Okay, so we're going to go through a little practical exercise like what do I do next? I repented of pornography. What do you do? We're going to walk through that and talk about that. But we're going to take pornography, for example. But this could be anything, right? What are you to do? You're to establish a stronghold of purity and fear of the Lord that causes you to hate evil. Okay, so how do you do that, right? What you're doing is you're establishing a stronghold because you exchanged that sin and that wickedness and that deception and now it's empty. Now you establish a stronghold of the godly opposite. Stronghold of fear of the Lord to hate evil. Stronghold of purity. Now how do you do that, okay? Because it doesn't just happen. What does the Bible say? When you kick out one strong man, what happens? If you don't solidify it and build up another strong man, there'll be seven more that come back and ransack your house called your heart. And that's why it's critical. What you do next determines the rest of your life right now. So, for example, with pornography, what do you do? Well, all of you who have been to encounters, it's part of the rite of passage of being part of this community. Why? Because it trains us that, number one, there's vulnerability and transparency here. Two, you can share anything that you have done, and no one looks down because everyone is walking out of the same things. That's one of the revelations when you go to encounter. You're like, what? These leaders are sharing all their stuff? Well, yeah, because we've all been out of sin and death and dysfunction. So the four R's. First, we repent. We repent for anything we've done wrong. Well, why am I repenting for being molested? Well, because you were wronged and then you responded inappropriately by becoming hurt and critical and starting to become hard toward God and mistrusting of everybody. And then you started opening your mouth and criticizing other people. You have a role. Just because you're wrong doesn't mean you just like have a right to do whatever you want. No, you have to go to God and say, Lord, I trust you with this injury to my soul. So you go and you say, I've acted wrongly toward you, Lord. I didn't trust you with my hurt and my offense. So that's your role. Even if you've been wronged and violated, you have a role that if you've responded inappropriately, you go to God and you repent. Okay? But then you release. You begin to release people who have wronged you. The person who did molest you. Maybe the person who introduced you to pornography. A parent, a father, a mother, a friend. And you say, Lord, I just begin to, and you release those people by name and pray for the blessing of God to come upon them. Lord, heal them like I've been healed. Forgive them like you've forgiven me. Cause them to come to a place of repentance like you have brought me to, God. Okay, then you begin to renounce. You say every single emotion that is attached to that event. I break that now, break every influence over my life. Satan, I break my agreement with you that I love the things you love. I fear the Lord now and I hate evil. And as that I hate you and everything of your kingdom, I break that over my life, every emotional attachment. Every time I see like a magazine, my mind goes right to that. I break that pattern of memory and association. Renouncing, renouncing, breaking, breaking, right? Then we come to a place of receiving. And we begin to receive the power of God of purity to stand, not the absence of pornography, the power of purity that everywhere you go, everything you do, you bring the light of heaven in and say, the purity of heaven is before me. The purity of heaven is around me. I'll bring it into dysfunction. I'll bring it into all the desolations, the generations. I bring that light into this place. Now, so if I were to break this down to another way of just going through a free flow of events, right? It would be the four hours. okay? Then you release anyone who contributes your sin. Then you study the Bible on the topic. What is pornography? What does the Word say about it? You study that. You write down scriptures. You journal about it. And as you read the Word, you're saying, oh God, I had no idea this had such significant, over my life, control. You start Studying all throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. You start studying about Jezebel. You start to study about the effects that real people had with perversion and seduction. And then you start praying, God, I want to be like these people who threw her out of the tower. I want to be those people who are passionate about purity. Passionate about the Lord and his affections and his heart. You respond in prayer. And then you, st- you begin to study scripture on purity, the fear of the Lord, the opposite of what you were repented from. And you begin to study that. You take notes again. You write down scripture references, you and God. And then as it starts saying like, you know, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, you start praying and say, Lord, I hate evil. I don't want anything to do with it. I pray you cause my heart to fear you in such a way that I get sick to my stomach when I see sin and wickedness that separates men from God. Then you respond in prayer in that same way. And then here's where you bring it to community. You come to a leader. You come to someone and you say, listen, I've done this extensive research. I am building a stronghold of purity over my life. And then you begin to offer these things that we're unrepentant from. And you begin to say, I want you to pray for me that I would have purity established in my heart. Because I know there's power in agreement. So then you pray. Let's take one other instance before we move on. What about sinning repeatedly and walking in deception, speaking negatively of others to cover your sin? That's what happens, right? When you're in perpetual sin, you start building defense lines, because you start saying, if I can talk about people who might expose this and threaten this stronghold from operating in my life, then people will, when they do say something, they'll have a negative attitude. So I'm just going to start taking all the leadership and speaking negatively of them, because then people will have a bad attitude, and then when they say something, they'll like, yeah, okay. Right? That's what we do when we're in sin. We try to cover Cover means lying, deceiving, keeping people from even hearing people of reason. Trying to find those people who will agree with us in our dysfunction, right? So, what do you do? Let's see if you listen. What's the first thing you kind of go through? Come on, guys. Okay, and then what's the other three? Release, renounce, receive. You got it. Okay, so, but then... You begin to, as you begin to repent, you, stu- you don't just repent for, oh, I was deceptive, forgive me. Listen, the revivalists used to spend, like, days. They would encourage people to spend days writing down every single sin in their life. Like, they would be weeping, they'd be crying as these people that were repenting would write these exhaustive lists of everything they have done wrong because they want to annihilate the mark of the enemy. So I'm saying when you sin and you have like in this situation you've you've repeatedly sinned, walked in deception, spoke negatively about others to cover it, right? You begin to map out and pray through and expose on paper. You just it's for you. You're writing down everything you've done wrong, every person. You begin to repent to the Lord of those things, then you begin to track down everybody that you have you have lied to or spoken negatively about others too, and you begin to say, I am sorry. You repent to those. You begin to eliminate every track and trace of wrong from your bad decisions. This is like, I'm helping you understand what it is to walk in full repentance, like where your sins are white as snow, where you begin to develop a stronghold in that place. So, it would be repent to all those you lied to. Clean up a trail of negative words. Go after the root and release anyone who contributed to your sin. That's about breaking soul ties. So if it's been sexual sin with others, you break those soul ties. You you Part of the renouncing is I break off every wrong affection that resulted in sin. Then you start a clean slate. Everything's fresh. Everything's clean. And then you start... Through obedience to God, you build on that clean slate and you establish a stronghold of goodness, of purity, of love. You study scripture on this topic, same thing. Study scripture, get God's perspective. You respond in prayer. You study scripture about walking in the light and walking after the spirit. Listen, you don't have to to just pray that your flesh would be killed. The Bible says if you walk after the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Stop worrying about the devil. Give yourself to God and those things will just begin to fall off, right? Pursue him. Walk after the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then, you know, if it had anything to do with criticism, there were so many people that repented and, and there was a lot of criticism. Well, after you repent, you release people, then you renounce every. every temptation to go there. Listen, I have to deal with that. I I become so disillusioned by seeing people fail and seeing people fall short and make wrong decisions. My heart becomes hard. I have to constantly, it's kind of like the ambulance drivers who see so many people that just get in accidents. They become filled with dark humor. And it's like a release mechanism to say, yeah, yeah, I just, this is what happened this weekend. (laughs) Another body thrown all over the highway, that kind of thing. And they're not bad people. They're in that industry because they want to help people. But you become so uh, calloused. And, and you, if you don't, like even in ministry, you see so much tragedy, so much betrayal, so much hurt that you just, if you don't watch it, you become calloused and hardened and start having dark humor. And that's where you have to go to God and you have to release it to him and say, God. Again, I cast my care upon you. It's coming to a place and where you have to choose, if you've been critical, you will develop a habit of words of life. And it will go to the point where even if someone has shortcomings in front of you, you will find things that you believe are positive and you'll begin to declare them to them and over other people. You'll go, Tim, man, Case is such a man of strength and power and might, right? It's these things where you begin to declare you are not going to tear down anymore. You're going to develop a stronghold of positive, declaring words of life over people. This is one of the things I'm really going after. And then again, you come and you share with a leader in the community. Some Even on Sunday prayer, you know, these times when people are just here to just agree with you in prayer. And you come and say, hey, listen, I've done like two weeks of study now on what I've repented from, and I just want right now for you to pray for me to receive the blessing of heaven as I just begin to go after developing a stronghold of purity, a stronghold of truth-telling, a stronghold of declaring words of life over every situation. I will not be one with criticism and tearing down. I will not be. I will be a mouthpiece of God, and I will speak life. So, we look at 2 Kings 5. You you all know the story of Naaman. He was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was an enemy of Israel. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Through him, the Lord had given victory over and over. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders had gone and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served this man, Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. So Naaman went to the master, told him what the girl of Israel said. And the master said, Naaman, by all means, go. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left. The king of Israel ripped his clothes because he's like, great, an enemy is coming. And now I'm going to extend healing, the one that I was trying to annihilate and kill because he is an enemy of Israel, an enemy of God. So as soon as the king, um, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him a message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. What was he saying? Have him come to me, and he will know the glory of God. And this is where we have to come to, this, this place where we become fortified. We've walked through repentance, through restoration. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Now, part of why I'm sharing this is that you have to understand that repentance demands action, follow through action. It is not something you just pray and everything's done. Like if you've deceived for a long period of time, you repent and then you walk through a A process of restoration where you continually reinforce that you have changed and repented and you establish trust. It's a process. Your forgiveness is instantaneous. But then there's a mending, a healing time. And that's why, even with with Elisha, he gave Naaman a process to walk through. This is what you need to do. Naaman went away angry. And said, I thought he'd surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. See, this is what the church unfortunately wants. Just wave your hand, say a magic prayer, everything will change. God's like, I am not cheap God. I will not just release cheap thrills. I want my people to be men and women of excellence, character, tried by the fire who repent and then walk through a process and become different people. That's why he says, no cowards will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because God's against weakness? No. He says, after people encounter me, they are no longer cowards. They are full of fearless courage. They are men of boldness, women of boldness, bold, frank speech, who speak what is in their hearts, speak as mouthpieces for me. God expects radical change when we encounter him. He is not cheap. He is sacred. He is alive. He is powerful. He is our creator and he says, "These people have been contaminated and altered by the enemy and I will restore them and rip them out of his hands and demonstrate my glory through their lives." We're no longer captured captured by guilt of past mistakes. Because we've been recreated. We've been refashioned. Where old things are passed away and all things become new. Where we don't walk in that shame because that shame has become a staff of authority. Where we use it to deliver other people. It's a redemptive process. He takes that which the enemy meant for harm and makes it into good. That's why you're not ashamed of your past failings. Church, You repent through them and allow God to make you a different person. You establish strongholds from the kingdom where there was once strongholds of darkness, self-dependency, humanism, rationalism, excuses. Weakness becomes strength. So anyway, he's mad. Naaman's mad. (laughs) He wanted a quick cure, right? Are not Abana and far the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash them and be cleansed? He starts slamming Israel, God's chosen people. He starts criticizing. He starts complaining. That's what we do in sin. And it violates and contaminates all those around us. It destroys the work of the gospel. We begin to malign the image of God. We work against people being saved because we reinforce that same lie that says the church is impotent, the church is self centered, the church has no power. You have been part of this. So we need to repent and we need to let God restore the image. Through other people because we repent. We are the vehicles, the repairers of the breach. We are those who release the glory of heaven through every relationship. So Naaman turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's service went servants went back to him. Isn't that interesting? This great mighty man. Guess who, guess who got through to him? His servants. It was the people who laid down their life to serve him that came and said, Naaman, Naaman, listen. My father, they said to Naaman, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have done it? How much more than when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to Elisha. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Yeah, that's worth a clap or two. Now, what would have happened if he didn't go through the full process of repentance? He wouldn't have entered into the full revelation. Repentance brings revelation. It's the door through which you begin to have your mind illuminated and open to the things of God. So please accept a gift from your servant, he said to Elisha. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, then please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant of this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm, I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Life well, says go in peace. He basically says I serve a man who is an idol worshiper. Will the Lord forgive me when because I'm serving him as unto the Lord, I bow down but my heart is not bowing down. Now, look at this whole scenario with Naaman. Naaman had leprosy, was an enemy of Israel, hated God. And then hears that this God is a good God who heals people. So he came, Elisha, the bold prophet who is courageous and speaks frankly and says, this is what you must do now, go do it. He leaves rage. Naaman's like, I hate this place. In fact, the Israels suck here. I mean, the, the rivers suck here. I wouldn't even get in them. They're better in my pagan country. And then his lowly servants come and say, Father, if, and challenge him in a really respectful way. And Naaman says, all right, I'll go back. He gets healed and then goes back to Elijah. Elisha begins to extend grace to him, reject any kind of payment because he wants it to be unconditional. And then begins to draw him into a place where he goes deeper in repentance. He walks out his repentance in a way that begins to establish Christ as Lord. It brings salvation. His healing brings true repentance and salvation. And then it further brings him to a place of repenting for more things. Does this make sense to you? You know John 5:14 the cripple man at the pool of Bethesda after he got healed Jesus tracked him down later and said see you are well again stop sinning or something worse may happen to you The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well My point is that there was a corresponding action to that repentance to healing I mean like when you get healed There is a corresponding expected action that you go and sin no more, meaning you'll make mistakes, but you stop the sin and turn. Corresponding action, John 8, 3. The woman who was taken in the act of idolatry, I mean adultery. When the woman's accusers brought her to Jesus expecting him to pronounce judgment, he told them that one who is without sin should throw the first stone. One by one, the condemning crowd left. Then Jesus told the woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Acts 2.38, Peter replied to a whole crowd that was saying, like, what was must be to do now? We've accepted Jesus. And he goes, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is another instance. Repentance brings infilling of the Holy Spirit. It, 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 everything, every time you repent, you throw something down and something new needs to come in. Establish a stronghold. You know, Matthew 19, 21, the young man who said, how must I receive eternal life? And he said, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor. A corresponding action. You want to repent and change from your ways. There's actions that follow that require you to walk this out. Then there's this whole idea of restitution and restoration. Proverbs 631. When the thief has been discovered to have stole something, he must not only return what he stole, but he must give back seven times as much. Effective repentance is thorough and abundant in the opposite action in order to build a stronghold. Think about this. Was this just like, if you steal, you got to give back seven times. What is a thief? What do they do? Right? Which is what? A form of taking. So what is God saying in this passage? It's not this legalistic formula. It's saying, if you have a sin of taking, You must give abundantly seven times back in the opposite spirit. Giving. See, repentance is not just a prayer, it becomes a lifestyle in the opposite thing that you repented from. Mature repentance builds a stronghold and habit. If you are lusting, you need to be form a lifestyle of aggressive, abundant purity. Taking, if you took, 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 you need to give, give, give. If you're criticizing, you need to develop a stronghold of speaking life and encouragement. If you've hurt people, you need to become a healer. If, you're, if your sin is passivity, you need to become bold and, and courageous in your communication. If you've Repent of fear, you need to develop this stronghold of love of God that you are afraid of nothing because he can take your soul and throw it into eternal fire. You fear God more than man. If you repent of self-reliance, you develop an abundant lifestyle of trusting in God and not self. Look at Paul. You know, why did he count his degrees and his perfection of living as a mature Pharisee? He threw it all down because that was what he repented of. And then what did he do? He as a child forgot all of it and said, all I do is one thing. I just live to hear and obey the Lord. Trust is just as tangible of a commodity as material possessions. We read in Job twenty two twenty one. 21. Just listen to this as a promise of what happens, the fruition of repentance. Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, right? That's what repentance is. You will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir, to the rocks in the ravens, then the Almighty will be your gold and choicest silver. Listen to that. You let go of what humans cherish, and he will become all of that. This is all about abandoning your dependency on things other than God, that God becomes your greatest desire. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and you will lift up your face to God. You will pray to Him and He will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done and light will shine on all your ways. Can you imagine coming to a place of full abandonment to God that even your desires that spring up, you speak them forth and they happen. Why? Not because you just have these things that like I want an escalade. I want this, I want that, and it happens, and you're some kind of of white witch. No, it's that you become filled with the truth and goodness of God, that even the things that naturally arise out of your heart, you begin to speak forth because God is in it all. It's a byproduct, right? When people are brought low, here's the real heart. See, it gets to the place of what God's heart is becomes your heart. When people are brought low and you say, lift them up, then he will save the downcast. See, the fruit of all this is you come to a place where you begin to say, coal, rise up. And the Lord responds and rises him up, raises him up. And so that's, that's this place where he's bringing us to become, you know, those who win souls. That's the ultimate thing. That's what is in God's heart. He will deliver even one who is not innocent. Who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Now that's like an intercessor, one who goes before, one who says, like, This guy is a scoundrel. But Lord, would you have mercy on him for my sake because I have completely given myself to you. And the Lord's like, I will respond in your behalf. This is that one, the heart of God. You know, and then finally, and this is what we're going to close on here is this idea that repentance is followed by battle and victory. In Joshua 5.13, last week we shared, now when it came to pass, after the hill of foreskins, where they basically circumcised all the men who had not been circumcised out of that, a symbol of cutting off the, the dead works of the flesh, right, and consecrating themselves as people of God that are marked by that act as servants of him, right? And so we read all that and we stopped. And remember the captain, the host of the Lord, shows up and Joshua falls on his face. And the captain says, remove your sandals from your feet, young man, for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did. Next chapter. Now at the gates of Jericho, we're securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in or out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark on the seventh day. March around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound of the long blast, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up everyone straight in. See, this is after repentance, the commander of the army, of the Lord shows up, and then he begins to release victory and battle. This is representative of this thing where when we bring it into community, the whole remember, the hill of Foreskins, the whole circumcision was a community public thing. And the community repented, cut off the works of the flesh and the deadness of doing things in your own strength, and entered in and took a city. The next, the very next scripture verse. God's intent is to bring us into battle, church. Not to struggle and plunder. I mean, not to struggle and 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 fail. He brings us into battle to win and extend the glory of God. Final scripture here, Acts 3. We read it last week, but it's Pretty awesome. So repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Remember, this isn't through a prayer. It's through a whole process. Regret past sins and return to God to seek his purpose for your life. So that your sins may be wiped away, blotted out, completely erased. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, restoring you like a cool wind on a hot day that he may send to you Jesus Christ who has been appointed for you. Then it keeps going. And in your seed, descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the ultimate end goal of repentance, that we would become like him and be vessels that bless all the families of the earth. It was for you first of all that God raised up his son, Jesus, and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways folks this this is the next step this is what we press into but i'm telling you it's not it's not this like sexy exciting like next step like woo like driving a red corvette this is like where You've encountered God. You've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. Now roll up your sleeves and get to work and appropriate that experience and the truth in your life. Do the hard work. Be the man. Be the woman. Rise up and actually start to plunge into the word and cry out to the spirit, Lord, make an outline of everything you repented of. Write it down on paper and then begin to pray about it and say, Lord, I'm not just going to just trite and trivial and just like thank you Lord I'm a new creation now no you have repented now walk it out and enter into that promised land of being a new creation legally you are God is fully before you he's washed you clean now walk it out because if not it'll go back to what you were doing business is normal and you'll have seven more that you have to contend with next time around Write it all out. Begin to break it down, like I shared. Listen to the message part again about that. Just breaking down every step. Annihilate every trace of the enemy in your heart, your mind, your body. And then begin to develop a stronghold for the kingdom of heaven. I'm telling you, this works, folks. God is not dead, he's alive. It doesn't matter how many times you failed in the past. It is springtime. It is springtime. What was hard in the past is easy now. His burden, his yoke, is light, it's easy. Come on, let's just begin to stand. Let's just respond to God in prayer. Let's ask him, Lord, do this work in me. I stand before you, not as one who cries out without faith, but in this, in the, on the threshold of spring. I'm saying, do a fresh work, Lord. I've had 10 years of trial, 10 years of hardship, 10 years of unfulfilled promises. It's a new day though and your promises are new every morning just like your mercies and I stand at the threshold of a season of answered prayer answered promises impossible situations of the past now become possible all things are new. Come on just begin to cry out to God just as, as I have shared, just respond to him and what he's doing what he wants to do in your heart. Come on commit now to that process commit to the hard work. pray for strength, Lord. I pray for a vision that compels people to do things they feel are impossible, to face their fears, to roll up their sleeves, to partner with the Holy Spirit, the illuminator who shines in the deep place of the heart and brings life. Come on, let's go. Let's just respond to God.